Chapter Ten of the Gorilla Hunters by R. M. Ballantyne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Adele de Pignoles. Chapter Ten. Water appreciated. Destructive flies, etc. Our first start from the village where we had been entertained so hospitably and so long was productive of much amusement to ourselves and to the natives. We had determined to accept of three oxen from the chief and to ride these when we felt fatigued but we thought it best to let our native porters carry our baggage on their shoulders, as they had hitherto done. When the animals were led up to our hut, we could not refrain from laughing. They were three sturdy-looking, dark-skinned oxen, with wicked-looking black eyes and very long horns. "'Now, Jack, do you get up first, said Peterkin, "'and show us what we are to expect.' "'Nay, lad, I am still entitled to be considered an invalid, "'so you must get up first, and not only so, but you must try them all.' in order that I may be enabled to select the quietest. Upon my word, you are becoming despotic in your sickness, and you forget that it is but a short time since I came down from a journey to the sky, and that my poor bones were still tender. But here goes. I was born to be victimized, so I submit to the decrees of fate. Peterkin went up to one of the oxen and attempted to mount it, but the animal made a demonstration of an intention to gore him, and obstinately objected to this. Hold him tight, Mac! he cried, after several futile attempts to mount. "'I was always good at leapfrog when a schoolboy. See if I don't bring my powers into play now.' So saying, he went behind the ox, took a short race, and sprang with the agility of a monkey over its tail onto its back. The ox began to kick and sidle and plunge heavily on receiving this unexpected load, but its rider held on well, until it took it into its head to dart under a neighboring tree, the lower branches of which swept him off and caused him to fall with a heavy plump to the ground." "'I told you so,' he cried, rising with a rueful face, and rubbing himself as he limped forward. However, his pain was more than half affected, for the next minute he was on the back of another ox. This also proves restive, but not so much as the first. The third was a very quiet animal, so Jack appropriated it as its charger. Having bade adieu to the chief, and rubbed noses with him and with several of our friends in the village, we all three got on our novel steeds and set forth but we had not got away from the village more than a mile when the two restive oxen began to display a firm determination to get rid of their intolerable burden mine commenced to back and sidle and peterkins made occasional darts forward and then stopping suddenly refused to budge a step we lost all patience at last and belaboured them soundly with twigs the effect of which was to make them advance rather slowly and evidently under protest look out for branches cried peterkin as we came up to a narrow belt of wood I had scarcely time to raise my head when I was swept off my seat and hurled to the ground by a large branch. Peterkin's attention was drawn to me, and his ox, as if aware of the fact, seized the opportunity to swerve violently to one side, thereby throwing its rider off. Both animals gave a bellow, as of triumph, erected their tails, and ran away. They were soon recaptured, however, by our negroes, and mounting once more, we belabored them well and continued our journey. In course of time they became more reconciled to their duties— but I cannot say that I ever came to enjoy such riding, and all of us ultimately agreed that it was a most undesirable thing to journey on oxback. Thus we commenced our journey over this desert or plain of Africa, and at the end of many weeks found ourselves approaching that part of the country near the equator in which the gorilla is said to dwell. On the way we had many adventures, some of an amusing, some of a dangerous character, and I made many additions to my collection of animals, besides making a number of valuable and interesting notes in my journal but all this i am constrained to pass over 
in order to introduce my reader to those regions in which some of our most wonderful adventures occurred. One or two things, however, I must not omit to mention. In passing over the desert, we suffered much from want of water. Frequently the poor oxen had to travel two or three days without tasting a drop, and their distress was so great that we more than once thought of turning them adrift at the first good watering place we should come to, and proceed formerly as on foot. For we had all recovered our wonted vigor, and were quite capable of standing the fatigues of the journey as well as our men. But several times we had found the country destitute of game, and were reduced to the point of starvation, so we continued to keep the oxen, lest we should require them for food. On one occasion we were wending our way through the bed of what in the rainy season would become a large river, but which was now so thoroughly dry that we could not even find a small pool in which the oxen might slake their thirst. They had been several days absolutely without a drop of water, while we were reduced to a mouthful or two per man in the day. As we could not exist much longer without the life-giving fluid, Jack dismounted, and placing the load of one of the men on the ox's back, sent him off in advance to look for water. We had that morning seen the footprints of several animals, which are so fond of water that they are never found at any great distance from some spot where it may be found. We therefore felt certain of falling in with it ere long. About two hours afterward our negro returned, saying that he had discovered a pool of rain-water, and showing the marks of mud on his knees in confirmation of the truth of what he said. "'Ask him if there's much of it, Mac,' said Jack, as we crowded eagerly round the man. "'Him say there be plenty of it, enough to tumble in.' Gladdened by this news, we hastened forward. The oxen seemed to have scented the water from afar, for they gradually became more animated, and quickened their pace of their own accord, until they at last broke into a run. Peterkin and I soon outstripped our party, and quite enjoyed the gallop. "'There it is!' cried my comrade joyfully, pointing to a gleaming pond in the hollow of a plain not two hundred yards off. "'Hurrah!' I shouted, unable to repress my delight at the sight. The oxen rushed madly forward, and we found that they were away with us. No pulling at our rope bridles had any effect on them. My companion, foreseeing what would happen, leapt nimbly off just as he reached the margin of the pond. I, being unable to collect my thoughts for the emergency, held on. My steed rushed into the water up to the neck, and stumbling as he did so, threw me into the middle of the pond, out of which I scrambled amidst the laughter of the whole party, who came up almost as soon as the oxen, so eager were they to drink. After appeasing our own thirst, we stood looking at the oxen, and it really did our hearts good to see the poor thirsty creatures enjoy themselves so thoroughly. They stood sucking in the water as if they meant to drink up the whole pond, half shutting their eyes, which became mild and amiable in appearance, under the influence of extreme satisfaction. Their sides, which had been for the last two days in a state of collapse, began to swell, and at last were distended to such an extent that they seemed as if ready to burst. In point of fact, the creatures were actually as full as they could hold, and when at length they dragged themselves slowly, almost unwillingly out of the pool, any sudden jerk or motion caused the sum of the water to run out of their mouths. Some time after that we were compelled to part with our poor steeds, in consequence of their being bitten by an insect which caused their death. This destructive fly, which is called the tsetse, is a perfect scourge in some parts of Africa. Its bite is fatal to the horse, ox, and dog, yet strange to say it is not so to man or to wild animals. It is not much larger than the common house fly, and sucks the blood in the same manner as the mosquito, by means of a proboscis with which it punctures the skin. When man is bitten by it, no more serious evil than slight itching of the part follows. When the ox is bitten, no serious effect follows at first, 
but a few days afterwards a running takes place at the eyes and nose swellings appear under the jaw and on other parts of the body emaciation quickly follows even although the animal may continue to graze and after a long illness sometimes of many weeks it dies in a state of extreme exhaustion the tsetse inhabits certain localities in great numbers while other places in the immediate neighbourhood are entirely free those natives therefore who have herds of cattle avoid the dangerous regions most carefully yet despite their utmost care they sometimes come unexpectedly on the habitat of this poisonous fly and lose the greater part of their cattle when our poor oxen were bitten and the fatal symptoms began to appear we knew that their fate was sealed so we conducted them into a pleasant valley on which we chanced to alight where there was plenty of grass and water and there we left them to die another incident occurred to us in this part of our journey which is worthy of record one day peterkin and i had started before our party with our rifles and had gone a considerable distance in advance of them when we unexpectedly came upon a band of natives who were travelling in the opposite direction before coming up with their main body we met one of their warriors who came upon us suddenly in the midst of a wooded spot and stood rooted to the earth with fear and amazement at which indeed we were not much surprised for as he had probably never seen white faces before he must naturally have taken us for ghosts or phantoms of some sort he was armed with shield and spear but his frame was paralyzed with terror he seemed to have no power to use his weapons at first we also stood in silent wonder and returned his stare with interest but after a few seconds the comicality of the man's appearance tickled peterkin so much that he burst into a fit of laughter which had the effect of increasing the terror of the black warrior to such a degree that his teeth began to chatter in his head he actually grew livid in the face i never beheld a more ghastly countenance i say ralph observed my companion after recovering his composure we must try to show this fellow that we don't mean him any harm else he'll die of sheer fright before i could reply or any steps could be taken towards this end his party came up and we suddenly found ourselves face to face with at least a hundred men all of whom were armed with spears or bows and arrows behind them came a large troop of women and children they were all nearly naked and i observed that they were blacker in the skin than most of the negroes we had yet met with here's a pretty mess said peterkin looking at me what is to be done said i if we were to fire at them i'd lay a bet they'd run away like a wind replied my comrade but i can't bear to think of shedding human blood if it can possibly be avoided while we spoke the negroes who stood about fifty yards distance from us were consulting with each other in eager voices but never for a moment taking their eyes off of us what say you to fire over their heads i suggested ready present then cried peterkin with the recklessness of manner that surprised me we threw forward our rifles and discharged them simultaneously the effect was tremendous the whole band men women and children uttered an overwhelming shriek and turning round fled in mad confusion from the spot some of the warriors turned however ere they had gone far and sent a shower of spears at us one of which went close past my cheek we have acted rashly i fear said i as we each sought shelter behind a tree no doubt the savages construed this act of ours into an admission that we did not consider ourselves invulnerable and plucked up courage accordingly for they began again to advance towards us though without hesitation i now saw that we should be compelled to fight for our lives and deeply regretted my folly in advising peterkin to fire over their heads but happily before blood was drawn on either side makarooroo and jack came running towards us the former shouted an explanation of who and what we were to our late enemies 
and in less than ten minutes we were mingling together in the most amicable manner. We found that these poor creatures were starving, having failed to procure any provisions for some times past, and they were then on their way to another region in search of game. We gave them as much of our provisions as we could spare, besides a little tobacco, which afforded them inexpressible delight. Then, rubbing noses with the chief, we parted and went on our respective ways. End of chapter 10 Recording by Adelde Pinoroles.